Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. Yes, we're back, of course, and crucially, Federer's back on clay, which means already one of my predictions from earlier in this podcast is wrong when I said that Roger Federer would never play on clay ever again. Well done, James. You've already got one wrong. He's not got on court just yet. No, but he has said that he will, which is good enough for me. George, did you see this coming at all? Yes. Really? Yeah, I thought I thought we'd play on clay this year. I don't remember you saying that. I'm going to have to go back through the archives. Look back on my tweets. I've been pretty clear he'll be on clay this year. Uh, From from the start of the year, I think um, there were some Swiss reports saying he would play a couple events before Roland Garros, um, and he was quite open about it when he left Australia that Mm. he would um, turn up on the clay there are probably a number of different reasons he might be doing this what which of those is the most convincing for you well I think that the most convincing one for why he's playing clay full stop is um, I think last year it was pretty clear to me he was very short on match practice by the time Wimbledon came around Mm. while it worked the year before it didn't work last year and he just looked that little bit rusty. He tried to, you know, really squeeze in two weeks of match practice in Stuttgart and Halle. Uh, you know, reached the final in Halle, won Stuttgart, but he didn't play well in either tournament. And he was still kind of living off that invincible Roger Federer vibe. He doesn't have that this year, so he needs to kind of rebuild his uh, his aura, mm. shall we say, a little bit. Um, and I just think he wants to keep playing a bit in these few months some high-level tennis. Um, why he's chosen Madrid? You know, that's kind of obvious right it's at altitude it's a bit quicker well it is ob- obvious in some senses but others were kind of saying I thought he'd play Rome over Madrid because Rome's closer to um, Roland Garros conditions you know mm. Madrid's if you look at the clay tournaments Nadal's struggled with Madrid's the one he's won least mm. I think um, so what you know why wouldn't you want to replicate the conditions in Paris and I think the simple reason is Federer's more likely to win Madrid he's more likely to 
get points there is serve can get him out of a lot of trouble there because you know high altitude it's very fast courts i played in them last year it's, it's unlike any clay i've ever played on before uh really does travel in for like a big guy like me i love it comparatively <laughs> i hate clay normally george is annoyed he's about six foot eight <laughs> um so you know and why does it matter if he wins it or not? Obviously, from the one side of thing, if we're talking about him wanting match practice, that's important. But the other thing is, you know, Federer's down to world number seven now. Yeah, which is you weird to think. You want to be a top four seed for Wimbledon if you can. Mm. You know, so he needs points. And this is free points as well because he's not defending anything. So he should be able to pick up and move up quite quickly. Um, little trivia question oh, if you're no. listening. Uh, when Who was Federer's last match at Madrid Masters against? And what was the oh, result? I think it was Nick Kyrgios, and he lost in three, and it was th- like three tie breaks. So that, I, I have to applaud that, George. That's very La- good. Last clay match? Last clay match? I know. I mean, well. yeah, go on then. Dominic team lost in Rome 2016. So yeah. maybe that thing about, oh, team was really bad on clay until 2017, it's a myth. Mm. 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 There you go. Exposed on the Love Tennis podcast. The rankings thing, I think, for Federer is is most relevant. I know he says he doesn't care and he won the Australian Open from what, number 17 seeding. But if he wants to win Wimbledon again, and obviously he does, he would be a fool not to think that he'd want to give himself the best possible chance. And the best possible chance is by making sure you have a good draw. How can you make sure you have a good draw? By rising up the rankings. What's the easiest way to rise up the rankings? Go to tournaments you weren't at last year. The whole clay court swing is open to him. I mean, it's hard to predict at this point because we just don't know what he's going to look like on play, but he's Roger Federer. He's one of the best players ever. How do you think he'll do with the French? Oh, the French is harder to call. I think he'll do well in Madrid. Mm. I do I do genuinely think he'll do quite well in Madrid. I mean, like you said, the surface is unusual for a clay court tournament. Um, the ball does move quicker. It should suit him. Zverev served his way to the title last year, really. Mm. You know, he was untouchable on serve uh, the entire week. So I think Federer could have a, a similar kind of week. Um... French Open's really tough. It's a really difficult one to call. Um, I would say quarterfinals mm. right now would be my prediction. Um, you know, that's very draw dependent. Someone like Kyle Edmund, I think, could beat Federer if mm. he was drawn against him. So you never know exactly who you're going to get or where you're going to get him. Um, I don't know. People used to say that Federer was the best clay player after Nadal. I never really bought into that. He was obviously very, very good. I think at reached, his peak he was. He's never reached the heights of Djokovic and team, though, for example. No, but like, not at the, like, at I'm the same at that time. time. But I think there was a lack of really good clay court players then. Mm. I don't think he ever got close to the level, say, Djokovic, who's beaten Nadal so consistently on clay, has, for example. Yeah. So I think he's you know a good clay player. As you say, he's you know, always been one of the best players in the world on any surface. Mm. Um, but he'll be rusty as well, and this is the other thing. It's almost quite risky turning up to Madrid without playing anything else first. I thought he might um, go to somewhere like Monte Carlo, or there was even talk of Barcelona, um, right? which would be quite rogue on paper. But just to get yourself into the swing of things on a tournament that maybe means a little less, because to me, I think he, Madrid's the one he needs to kind of put aside as the banker that he's going to do well at. And if that's the first one you're rocking up at without playing on clay for a few years... It, and it goes wrong in the first round, then that's suddenly a little bit more pressure on Roger. He's got, I mean, presumably Madrid is going to be the only clay court tournament he plays in the run-up. There's no suggestion that he might go in and, you know, if he I goes... Barcelona is the one that has been mentioned as a possible 4-1. Monte Carlo, um, they, they've tried to get him. They've saved him a wild card if he does want to take a late one. 
it will of course all depend how he gets on in this kind of american sunshine swing you know he's got dubai next week which we'll come on to in, in a minute um he's got miami and indian wells that he's down for you know if he were to lose first round in all three then he may well turn up in monte carlo for example <laughs> i don't see that happening um but i'm just saying his schedule could change and monte carlo have made it very clear they would give him a wild card you know the day before the tournament if needs be you mentioned Dubai. That is, of course, Roger's next task to go out there and uh, where everyone, it would appear, is on his side. The tournament director last <laughs> week saying he hopes that the draw helps Roger and makes him make sure he wins his 100th title uh, out in Dubai. Now, we were hoping that the draw would have been conducted by now, but uh, it hasn't. So it you might will... have been conducted by the time it goes out. Yes, by the time <laughs> you're listening, you may well know the draw, but we don't. Look, we're not expecting him to necessarily get a difficult draw. I'm not saying they're going to rig it, but you know he should be all right. Who are the big threats to him out out in Dubai this week? That's a good question. Uh, I think Nishikori's going there, isn't he? Mm. Sissy Pass. Do you think either of those are capable of? I mean, this sur- the surface, for example, should suit him down to the ground. Yeah, I mean, he he likes Dubai. I I think I'm right in saying he's chasing an eighth title off the top of my head. Right. Um. So you know, this is somewhere he's done well in the past. Although I don't think he's won there since 2013. Hmm. Um. Really digging back into the stats of when I was writing this piece <laughs> it was like a week and a half ago. Um. You know, there's no Novak. That's the important thing for Roger. Novak's had good success there. There's no Andy. He's also done pretty well there in the past. You know, Roger, if he if he really is up for this, and he will really be up for this because he wants that 100th title, you know, that's going to be looming over him for a long time. That mm. This is a great chance to kind of tick it off. Um, Two, I reckon, I mean, you've talked about Karen Kachanov before. He's Medvedev playing in Dubai. Well? Medvedev is playing as well. Russia, is there a link between Russia and Dubai? That's, is, is, I mean, maybe there's a, I mean, surely there's no politics involved here. Just, just checking, by the way. No, I don't think so. No, right. Okay, no fine. Idea. There definitely, definitely is, George. <laughs> don't look so naive. Uh, yeah, we've got Medvedev and Hatchinov and Marin Cilic. I mean, <laughs> it's quite a, a a strong, hard court field. You would suggest. Yeah, I think I think I'm right in saying some big hitters there. Yeah, I think there's something like fourteen of the top twenty playing, mm. or something like that. But not many of the top five, if any. Right. So that I don't think Zverev's there, for example. No, he's not. But then Zverev appears to play nothing these days. <laughs> or every time I read well, a news story about Zverev, huge appearance yeah, I suppose so. But every time I see him, a story about him, it's just him saying, "Yeah, I'm not playing there. No, I'm not playing there. No, I've pulled out of there." <laughs> I mean, that's maybe that's just an impression I'm getting. But um, I tell you what, if anyone wants to pay me, you know, large amounts of money, I will play tennis every week of the year if that's what's required. Having not seen the draw, it is tough to predict exactly what might happen to Roger. Yes or no, do you think he'll win the title? Yes. I'm going for it. I think he will. I don't think so. No. I, I think there is enough quality in that field that, depending on exactly who when he comes up against whom, there are chances for these players to beat him. And I just think that Roger is fallible these days. I really do. He's got chinks in his armour. He has more bad days than he used to, crucially. Roger's as good at beating himself as anyone these days. And I just think that they might come back to bite him. Of course, things are already underway in Dubai on the women's side of things. Uh, Naomi Osaka 
new world number one, reigning Australian Open and US Open champion, turns up Christina Milanovic, who she beat in straight sets with ease at the same tournament at the same stage last year, and she lost. <laughs> Whoops. What happened? She was awful. I mean, I don't really want to exactly say this is where it went wrong, this is where it didn't go wrong. The fact of the matter was this was a player who turned up and played an incredibly poor match. Now, you can read into that what you will. Was it the pressure of being world number one for the first time? Was it the pressure of, you know, coming into a new match without a coach, uh, without a coach who she's achieved so much with in such a short space of time? Um, extra spotlight or whatever. Um, but, the you know, the fact of the matter is if you go onto a tennis court and play how she did, you're going to lose matches. You know, she only held serve a couple of times. The amount of unforced errors were crazy. Um, you could barely find the court half the time. I don't think, you know, look, Mladenovic did play well. I don't want to say she didn't play well, but, um, you know, she was very nervous in a lot of big moments. Mladenovic lost her serve when serving for the set and for the match, etc. Um, so Osaka had plenty of chances to come back in this, and you always kind of thought, oh, Osaka's suddenly going to find herself. And she just never, she never dialed in, never toned it down a little bit, never just got the ball in. She was happy to just whack it out constantly. You know, and it was very different to the Osaka we saw at the Australian Open where she dug herself out of quite a few holes. She was very emotional afterwards and, and very open, actually, which is refreshing. And someone asked her if she could block out the noise around her coaching slit. She, of course, has dropped Sasha Bajin. Um, and she said, I couldn't. That's the result. The, this match is a result of that. It's a little bit hard because I feel like people are staring at me and not like in a good way. <laughs> I mean, that is the challenge of being at the top of professional tennis. I feel like she's dropped her coach and look, we don't know the exact circumstances around it. Maybe it was one of those things that just could not happen. But it feels like the worst possible time for her to be taking this on largely on her own. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting times. I mean, Halep as well is going without a coach at the minute. Um, I mean, that can't be that common a thing to have the world number one and number two both coachless mm. at the same time. I mean, I'm sure that can't have happened within the last 10, 15 years at least. No. Um, so it's a very kind of strange situation. But as you say, you know, Osaka's split is very different to Halep's because Halep's was her coach stepping away because he wanted more time with his family and wanted to, you know, move away from coaching. Osaka's the one who said here, I wasn't happy with Bajin. Success doesn't make me happy. I want to be, you know, enjoy my life, be happy, not just driven by success. Mm. And, you know, that that's quite a... A strong thing to say because I think if you're in this sort of sport and you think about all the sacrifices these guys make to get this high, they surely can't be happy lots of the time. That can't be that uncommon. Um, you know, I think a lot of players would kind of just suck it up and be like, I'm world number one. I'm going to see how this goes while I'm there. I'm going to be, you know, be unhappy for a year or two more and just kind of they don't deal with it. Mm. And it's nice of us to say, you know, my happiness is more important. And in the current climate of mental health problems to hear someone that high um ranked or such a prominent sporting figure admit you know to feeling like that and putting a happiness first it's great mm. but it does does ask questions about perhaps mental toughness as well and you know i i think she is very mentally tough but there were cracks appearing it and as soon as you get to number one it's such a different type of pressure everyone's out to get you there's a number on your back players who play badly serena said this a million times before players who normally can't show any sort of level when they play against you they go lights out and if they 
hit the ball perfectly on that day, you'll lose a lot of matches or have to work so hard not to lose matches. How many times do you see someone beat Serena or beat Djokovic or beat Federer and then just get completely duffed in the next round because they've put it all into that victory? And yeah, I suppose Osaka's walking into that. I mean, Mladenovic had lost five straight before she got to Dubai. And then she beat, I think, a qualifier in the the first round and, and, and all of a sudden... Lifts a game. All right. She she perhaps I think is a little bit different because she's a player with a lot of natural ability. We can see that. And she's been near top ten before, I believe. Yes. Not perhaps not just quite in, but around. Certainly, I remember her being fourteenth seed at the French Open or something. And and like she had a run at Wimbledon she's a couple a of years ago. As well. Yeah. She she's obviously yeah. There's enough there <laughs> that if it all comes together on the right day. Um, yeah, she's been as high, incidentally, as number 10 in the world. She, has snuck she did in. just sneak in. But she is also world number three in doubles. Yeah. So, you know. She's not a bad player, don't get me wrong. But, you know, watching that match mentally, Ladenovic didn't necessarily win it, if mm. that makes sense. I think one of the best things many tennis players can say is that, you know, Serena will lose matches, but more often than not, and maybe this year's Australian Open was an exception when she kind of tossed that lead away against Pliskova, but more often than not, Serena Williams is saying, if I've lost a match, the other person has beaten me. Hmm. And I don't think that was the case in this one. I think Mladenovic did play well, but Osaka didn't make herself hard to beat. She really was nowhere near the sort of level required. Where What now for her? I mean, presumably she needs to solve this coaching yeah. vacancy as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think she'll just find a new coach. Um, I presume her next tournament's Indian Wells. I haven't checked her schedule perfectly, but that would be my mm. guess. Um, you know, that that's a little bit of time, I think about a month, to kind of get someone sorted. Is um, that enough time? I mean, sometimes well, these things I, can yeah, I mean, sort of come together very quickly. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, if it's true that she was sounding out people before the Australian Open, then she perhaps has cut off some channels that she knows you know she won't be wasting time chasing now Mm. um i don't know i think it's a really interesting situation it's hard to say who would be a good fit and often you know joe conter's someone who's done this she goes on a kind of a week-long trial with people sees how it is this is someone halep's just done it uh, with that belgium coach who i'm not going to try and pronounce (laughs) his name um but he you know he went with her for about three weeks she had a great run at one tournament, and then they both split. And the, um, the coach, whose name, yeah, I'm not going to try it, but he, he said straight after that tournament, you know, Simona did well here because of Simona. If she'd have done badly here, it wouldn't have been because of me either. You know, there wasn't that kind of click to their partnership, and that's that's why they, they stopped. Um, so by the same logic, I suppose we can say it's not necessarily, you know, one match is too soon to kind of, Hale Osaka is in a serious crisis. Um, But you're right, she will want to be finding someone sooner rather than later, I think. Dan Evans on the charge. By the time you are listening to this, he may already have thrashed Andrea Seppi 2-1. I don't think any of us are necessarily expecting that to happen. But to get to the quarterfinals of Delray Beach, we know how hard it is working your way back from world number a million, which is effectively what Dan has been doing since his cocaine ban. And... He has done it with admirable work ethic. For someone who I think the main criticism of has been his work rate uh, and his lack of dedication at times, it's pretty impressive to see what he's then managed to achieve, you know, making it into the main draw of a Grand Slam through qualifying. That's not easy to do. He beat some good players in that, by the way, as well. 
you know, scrapping his way through the Challenger Tour. I think even if he loses today, he'll go to 130 in the world. Once you get into the World Top 100, of course, then things really do open out for you again. How impressed have you been with what he's done, George? Yeah, hugely impressed. I think, you know, one really, when you consider it's been less than a year and he's climbed from no ranking to top 130, you'd be looking at that as a British player and you could say, oh, he had a wild card for Wimbledon. He got, you know, a couple of easy rounds to go through. You know, he didn't. Mm. You know, okay, he's had wild cards in challenger events in Glasgow and Loughborough. Um, but only into qualifying. Yeah, you know, you know, Dan has earned this. Um, you know, he was stupid in whatever he did and whatnot. You know, we're not here to say it's the greatest comeback story ever because he shouldn't be having to come back in mm. the first place. Um, but the manner he's gone about things, as someone with a reputation of not working hard, he, I think that year genuinely affected him, and he was really, really upset with himself disappointed with himself he felt like he'd let so many people down and there just seems such a determination to put things right Mm. and Federer said after they played at the Australian Open that was a close match yeah it pushed Federer really really hard um and Federer kind of said afterwards you know there's no reason he can't be back in the top 50 Mm. this time next year and you know you know these bands self-inflicted they are they often act as decision points for athletes and they come at different times in life I remember Anthony Joshua, when he got convicted of possession with intent supply, when he was part of Team GB, and his coach took him to, I think, European champs when he was undercooked, and he fought and he got beaten, and he said, and his coach said to him, I think it was Rob, and he said, you need to decide now. Do you want to make this your career, or do you, have you got something else in mind? Because if that's what you want to do now, you need to go. And AJ, you know, came to boxing late. He was someone who was a bit of a wild child, and boxing became his outlet. And yeah, he still slipped up even after he started boxing. And that was the point at which he said, right, I'm going to rededicate myself and has since been an extremely dedicated athlete. And I think that was when he was maybe 19 or 20. Okay, this for Dan has come at the age of, you know, 27. It's different, but we all grow up at different times. And this feels to me like a moment when Dan Evans has grown up and become a dedicated professional. I don't think he's ever going to be a top 10 player. No one's pretending that he will be. Look, may- maybe he will. I might look like an idiot. It has happened before and it'll happen again. But he is a guy good enough to be in the top 50, as Federer said. He's probably good enough to be in the top 30 on and off with a cu- with a fair wind and a couple of decent results and the bounce of a ball here and there. But you have to graft to get there. And he's shown at least in the last 12 months that he can graft. Another person who I think is going to have to graft now is Carl Edmund. Because he has, Freddie Rosengren's retired to spend more time with his family. We know that the tour is brutal, and you know if if you're obviously get, getting on in years to give Freddie a generous assessment, obviously you don't want to be flying all over the world all the time. He's not that old, is he? No, but he's older than me and you. <laughs> that is true. Combined, uh, so is he? I I think so. I reckon he's only like forty-eight. You I think he's forty-eight? He's, I he's younger than us. Right, listener, mind. as you're there, just have a little think. How old do you think Freddie Rosengreen is? You got a number in your head? Forty-eight. I've gone for. You think he's forty-eight? All right. Well, uh, what are you going for before you Google it? Let me. Um, I think he's like think he's fifty-five. Okay. Is that older than us combined? How old are we? Uh, I don't know, George. I'm but 26. probably. Yeah, there are thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. Uh, right. Let me just check. Two thousand years later. Freddie Rosengren's fifty-nine. Ram right, that really, up, you. You I've got that really very wrong, George. Listener, how it. close did you get? Let us know on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod how close you got to guessing Freddie Rosengren's age. Yeah, quite. Where I got 48 from. <laughs> yeah, quite. Either way, 
I would give Freddie a lot of credit for Carl Edmund's breakthrough at the Australian Open, mm. for what he's done, the improvement in his game. You know, he always had confidence in that forehand and he always kind of unleashed it. But he never had the backhand to go with it. And I think the tactical now is to go with it. And I think Freddie's improved both those things extremely well. It's a massive blow, I think, for Carl to lose him. Yeah, huge. I mean, you know, I was kind of saying this before with Halep. You know, sometimes these decisions are forced on you at the worst moment. And this feels like a really, really crap moment for Kyle to lose Rosengren because... Okay, yeah, last year was kind of a pretty much upward trajectory. You know, you had the Australian Open semis, you had first title in Antwerp, you know, breaking into the top 20. But the the start of this year has been a little bit of a slip down from grace, a potential of now not being seeded for the French Open if results go against him in the next few weeks and months. You know, th- this is the time you want a bit of stability for Kyle with this kind of proven uh, pair of hands with him. Um, mm. So I, I, you know, it's, it's worrying for Carl. He's been struggling physically. Now he's got this unwanted distraction of having to go out and find a new coach. I think he's playing in an Indian Wells challenger before Indian Wells, just to kind of get back into the swing of things. You know, if that goes badly, that's another kind of confidence blow. Mm. There's a lot that can go wrong for Carl Edmund at this point of time. And again, it's quite interesting. Why? Why now? Why has he decided this in February? Why not end this? Why hasn't this ended? before the Australian Open? Well, I suppose if you sit down in October and say, look, Carl, I think I'm going to pack it in, he might say, all right, let's do one last slam together and see what we can do. That That is, I suspect. Uh, and, you know, if you can do a pre-season with a settled coach, maybe maybe during the season a slightly easier time. You know, you've done all... Because realistically, much as you do a lot of work with the coach all year round, that six-week training block in the winter is a an intense period mm. And maybe you feel you get more out of it with a guy. You know, I don't know. I'm sort of spitballing, but I I can almost see some logic to it. Maybe, you know, uh, well, I would, if I was, if he has said that far in advance, I I need to end it, then presumably they would be working on getting someone else in there and this would not, there wouldn't be such a gap. I Mm. don't know. Maybe maybe he'll announce someone quite soon anyway. But, you know, it's a tough one for Kyle because I think he's the sort of guy who does need a, a good voice behind him. I don't think he's, you know, he's not naturally charismatic and confident like some of these guys. Well, no, he's from Yorkshire. Introverts. I mean, it's just, it comes to the territory. Yeah. He's from East Yorkshire. He's not, he's not a naturally charismatic yeah. bloke. None of them are. But, but Rosengren's kind of really helped him come along. And I mean, he had a long way to come in that department and he still does have a long way to go. But, mm. you know, gave him a lot of confidence and belief and that's going to be a tough thing for him to lose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there's all, it's not all bad news. Good news, Dan Evans. Bad news, Carl Edmund. Good news, Cam Norrie. Yeah. Uh, what's he been up to? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's up to a career high of uh, 62. And I think I'm right in saying... He's going up to 59, 59. next week. Yeah, and it, it, there's possibilities that might slip a little bit because a lot of that Rio 500 draw... Are, I think none of them are inside the top 60. So right, they, so they all could slide they all back could past kind him. Of come above him. Um, but, you know, that's good. I don't think he's necessarily. He had a great start in Auckland, of course. Mm. Um, not so good at the Australian Open, but still an okay start to the year. He seems to be. I'd imagine he can establish himself inside the top 50. He beat Dusan Lejevic in, uh, in Rio, who, as you yeah. know, I think is uh, awful. So that obviously means nothing. <laughs> but. Well, he had a. a 
I'll tell you this after um, Nori had won that. You know, Lajovic had some really, really good results on clay last year. He's been bloody terrible for the start of this year. He's not a but good hardcore player. But, he, but, he, but this is clay. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, this is a good result for Nori on on paper. But Lajovic, um yeah, isn't in the best form. And then I lost to Muna, I think, in three very tight sets. Two, the two he lost were tie breaks. So mm. you know, it's disappointing because. Now looking at that Rio Open field, that looks to me like a great chance to win a yeah. first 500. And that might be the only one he wins in his career. You know what I mean? Like, what do you hard. think is his like ceiling? What Where where could Cam Norrie get, again, with a fair wind and a, a dodgy line call here or there? Tough one. Really tough one. I, 30? Yeah, that's the sort of number I had in my head. much higher. I, I, 30 would be a good career for him. I don't know if he has the weapons to, to really make an impact higher than that. To be hard. He seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's probably got a bit more of the kind of Aussie culture. That, I know he's New Zealand, not Aussie, but he's a bit more of a kind of Aussie than British sportsman. And he's been through the college tennis system, which yeah. certainly I think tends to work you pretty hard and imbues you with a certain type of work ethic, which which is good. And, and I, you're used to the crowds as well, of course, because there's a collegiate... Of course, yeah, and the pressure, you know, massive pressure playing those college things. Team tennis is so much harder because you're not just losing for yourself, you're losing for everyone. So I suppose in that sense, yeah, he, he's grown into it. And he's had some good Davis Cup results as well, we've seen that. So, um, yeah, maybe 30 years as far as Cam Norrie. Look, just like Dan Evans, I hope he proves us wrong, but uh, maybe not. He, st- he strikes me as a a big one-off match winner, maybe more than someone who's going to be stringing together lots of kind of hmm. five to seven match win streaks so he might get to an Australian Open quarter final but equally lose every other first round match yeah, all year he might beat someone you wouldn't expect particularly in this next era you know I think if we kind of wipe out this big four you know and think Norrie's going to be playing at least six years of his career without any of the big four hopefully mm. injuries aside or whatever you know he might end up taking out guys like Zverev on a one-off or Shapovalov or mm. uh, someone like that but can he beat all them back to back and win big titles? I I don't see that right now. And just finally, George, it's worth a nod to uh, your three and a half thousand word oh, exclusive okay. from the ITF. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, it's been a it's been a funny old week. I think. Um, well, you've you appear to have been underground for several days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that well, not just because you're pasty. I mean, you just appear to have been offline. Yeah. Well, I've been just chasing quite a few things on this mm. ITF stuff. I mean, I wasn't, I've wanted, I kind of said last time, I wanted to see where it was going for a couple of months, give it a bit of a chance. And it's clear that there's such a big revolt um, against it for whatever reason Mm. um, that we kind of discussed a little bit last time. But it was really interesting kind of seeing that email, seeing how many, you know, because obviously the petition's one thing, but you never know who exactly signing petition, Mm. you know, 13,000 or whatever is an impressive number, but how many of them are fans or just, you know, random people on the internet, but to get a dedicated you know, almost 700 strong letters signed and sent to the ITF. That's, that's a good portion yes. of players. Um, and it was a very long, very detailed, thought-out letter, which you can read um, on the metro.co.uk if you wish to. Um, I've also got a couple of interviews coming up over the weekend. We have... I'm going to speak to Maria Petrescu, the person who started that petition, mm. speaking to her tonight, and had an interview with uh, ITF presidential candidate... Dave Miley yesterday. Very good. So that'll be dropping some point over the weekend. I assume he's got an opinion on the new he's ITF got many system. Many opinions on lots of things. He, you know, he himself said it, he's not coming out here to just 
slag off David Haggerty, essentially. Mm. Um, Easy but, there, that would be to do, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he's someone who worked for the ITF for 17, well, 25 years, but 17 as like a top executive there. Mm. Um, he knows the sport very well. He's been working in the Asian Federation since stepping away from the ITF in 2015. Interesting. So he's got a lot of knowledge. It's an incredibly long interview. I've never sat down with someone for that long. You know, <laughs> How long were you together? I was in his house for best part of two hours. Did he make you lunch or something? Well, he, he had me a bit of breakfast. And okay, so very that good. Was quite nice. It was a bit early. It was like uh, 10 a.m. till midday. Oh, uh, okay. So, um, 11s is you know, lovely. So it's, it's a lot of transcribing to do, which is why it's not going to be dropping immediately. <laughs> about halfway through. So you far. need an assistant, George. They're yeah, very useful. We have interns here, you know. They're very yeah? good. Oh, yeah. I'll send them some. No, absolutely not. They're mine. <laughs> Back off. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you as always, George. I'm sorry I didn't get you any breakfast, unlike David Miley. Um, but I'll endeavour to do better next time. Please give us a like um, on Twitter. Head over to at Love Tennis Pod. Uh, and also, obviously, head to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Only nice reviews, I'm afraid. We'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.